This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I'm exclusive on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the show, of course, that you come to for the accent, but you stay for the principles and the love and defense of American exceptionalism. I hope you've had a wonderful, relaxing week. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I have a lot to say today. In fact, if you've been following me on, on social media, especially on Facebook, you'll know I've been chomping at the bit to get behind the microphone this week. You know, I love doing this podcast with you. I love the way you share it, the way you interact with me. It's, it's You all are family to me. But one of the things that frustrates me sometimes about doing a podcast that comes out every Saturday at noon Eastern is sometimes i got to wait a few days before I can get behind the mic to record. Because at times, I just want to get out there and record straight away to respond to people who annoy me. If you are a long-time listener to this show, I hope you get to know me a bit. Um, in that I try and be as positive as possible. I, I don't engage in name-calling. I don't engage in name insults. I don't engage in a lot of negativity. I try and be very principled, very factual. Lay out the case for you. Share where I stand on the issues. And then let you decide. If you think I'm right, perfect. You, you share my same principles. If you think I'm wrong, that's totally fine. I'm not an echo chamber. But today's going to be slightly different. Because one thing that really, excuse my French, pisses me off. And it's getting, I think I'm getting older. I, I think I'm getting older and more crankier. But when I see politicians talk down to the American people, I, I am starting to lose my mind. I think I start bursting blood vessels in my head. And I got to respond to one today. And I'm going to go in depth. I'm going to ask for your patience today. Because I want to break this down in several different ways. And the politician that annoyed the hell out of me this week was no one, no other than a person who ran for president this election. That honor goes to Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie, you went through the primaries, and I didn't spend too much time talking about you for many different reasons. I was, I was more worried about different principles, and also I knew you wouldn't have a chance of winning. And I didn't follow too closely what you said, but you said something this week that annoyed the hell out of me. That is not only stupid, factually wrong, but it's insulting. You are there as a servant to the American people. They elect you to represent them. Not talk down to them. They elect you to fight and secure their rights. Because governments are instituted among men. Not to give rights, but to secure them. That is your job. That is what you place your hand on a Bible every six years or every two years and sit down and go, this is my job. Or every four years as president. 
to preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States. I don't see anywhere in your oath of office that gives you the right to say, yeah, do you know what, the American people, you just suck. I'm not going to play the audio for you folks in case you haven't heard it, but I will read some of what he said. I, I couldn't listen to him because I, I think I might lose another blood vessel or two. So this week, Bernie Sanders was out giving another speech, talking more hot air, doing what progressives are great at doing, you know, being consistent on global warming, recycling their same old excuses, their same old rhetoric, their same old propaganda. And I quote, The United States of America is the only major country on earth that does not guarantee health care to all people as a right. Canada does it. Every major country in Europe does it. The belief that healthcare is a right for all Americans, whether they're rich or poor. Some people, because they're Americans, should be able to go to the doctor when they need to. Be able to go to a hospital because they're Americans. And then a voice from the crowd shouts out, We're a compassionate society. This is what blew my mind. No, we're not a compassionate society. In terms of our relationship to poor and working people, our record is worse than virtually any other country on earth. I just need to take a breath there for a minute because I could, <laughs> I could say a lot of things that would probably get me thrown off the blaze right now. Just because I don't say them, folks, doesn't mean I don't think them. So let us deal with that. And I, again, I'm going to talk to you about healthcare today, but I, I'm going to ask for your patience because I'm going to make a point. Because I want to share some stories with you. I've done a lot of research on this issue this week, and I, I would just ask you to bear with me. So the first thing, let's just deal with the principle first. The United States of America is the only country on earth, major country on earth, that does not guarantee healthcare to all its people as a right. Uh-huh. Last week, if, if you missed the show, I spoke about the Declaration of Independence. And I spoke for different reasons, but I spoke about the start of it and why it is so critical. And I spoke about how you're one people and how rights come from God. And among those rights are all men are created equal and that each man and woman has a right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Or the original writing was life, liberty and the pursuit of property. Where is health care in that right? Where is healthcare in what I just said? But let's go one step further. Because, you know, the founders needed time. You know, that was 1776. You know, it took them 15 years to get the, the Constitution ratified. Okay. First Amendment. Do you see healthcare there? Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Do you see healthcare anywhere in there at all? Because I don't. But let's go one step further. What are you saying to people when you say the American people have a right to health care? What really are you saying? Blow away all the spin and all the hyperbole. What are you saying to a person? Well, here's effectively what you are saying. I'm John. Hi. I'm, an, I'm not, but let's just play along here for a minute. Hi, I'm John. I'm an American. And I'm an American and I have this income class. And regardless of my income, 
I should be able to go to each and every one of you, ever who you are, let's just say person B, and you're a nurse, or you're a doctor, or you're a GP, or you're a surgeon. Hey, guess what, buddy? I'm John. I'm an American. I have a right to your labor. I have a right to a piece of you. I have a right at any time, because he did say in that speech, people, should people, because they're Americans, be able to go to the doctor when they need it, be able to go to a hospital when they need it, because they're Americans. So at any time when I think I need it, I have a right to go to you and say, hey, guess what? You need to work for me now, because I need you. And because it's a right. In what world is that considered fair? In what world do you think that's acceptable? Can you imagine just like some stranger you don't know walking up to you and saying, hey, whatever you do, whether it's writing books, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's sweeping the streets, whether it's building a business, whether it's in sales, hey, your labor, I'm entitled to some of it. Now give it to me. Because I have a right to your labor. What would you say if someone walked up, someone that you don't know, never met before, never will see again, walked up to you in the street, what would you say? I know what I'd say. I'd say you're entitled to none of my labor. I work for me. And of course, depending on what country you live in, 20, 30, 40% of the time, you're working for the government. But that's a different story. Why are we entitled to people's and fruits of other people's labor? I asked this question, I think it was last week or the week before. When, it, when I, was I think it was last week when I was speaking about income inequality. Let's say you're a doctor. And you've studied 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years. Getting your degree and your master's and your PhD and in a certain subject. Because I know... Again, I don't know the, the ins and outs over there, but I know over here it's seven years to become a doctor. And then if you want to become a general practitioner, I think it's like another four or five. Or if you want to specialize in, in a cancer research or in heart or lungs or whatever you want to specialize in, it's another three or four years. So you're talking, let's say, ten years in college. And by the way, it's not like you know, you're know you slumming it in as a doctor. It's expensive to go to college. So you spend ten years of your life. And let's say your passion is cancer. You want to eradicate cancer all your life. So you have 10 years of your life in college, plus all those student loans, plus your cost of living, plus when you go to college, and I'm guessing, I know it's the same over there. When you go to college, it's not like over here where, or in other professions where you go to college and that's all you do. No, you got to go to college and then you got to do work experience during the summer and during term. So you got to go into hospitals. You got to work the night shift. You got to work the day shift. You got to work the morning shift. You're working hard. You're working eight, ten, twelve-hour shifts with people, learning, job experience. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly emotional. And then you start getting into the industry, and you start learning, and you start at the bottom where you're earning, you know, not as much as you can, and you're trying to survive. And you've gone through that whole journey. Of maybe 10, 15, 20 years. Of all that hard work. And someone comes to you and just says, hey, guess what? I have a right to your work. I have a right to your labor. Is that what you fought all those 10, 15, 20 years for? 
Is that what you worked your butt off going through college, paying off your student loans, working all hours God sends, so someone else can come to you and say they have a right to your labor? But the other thing, as I said last week, when I was talking about incoming inequality, that person did the 10, 15, 20 years of college and hard work, and even maybe more, 25, 30 years, all of a sudden has created this advancement, this pill to cure cancer. You have this pill. Now you've done it because, hey, you want to cure cancer. So deep down, somewhere, whether it's because you think it'll get you rich, but somewhere deep down, if you're creating a drug to cure cancer, you're doing it to be selfless. You're doing it to help other people. You might get rich because of it. That's an end result. But your why is that you're trying to help people. If you're doing all of that, and you did all those man hours, and you did all that research and development and study, and all those failed attempts to get to that pill just right, so it cures cancer. Are you then telling me I have a right to say, I know you worked all those hours, but hey, I have a fundamental right to the results of your labor. Give me that pill. No, you don't. That is what Bernie Sanders is saying. Now let's move on to point two. No, we're not a compassionate society in terms of our relationship to poor and working people. Our record is worse than virtually any other country on earth. Take a breath. Ladies and gentlemen, I finish this show the same way each and every week for a reason. One of the last things, I spend a lot of research time doing what I do for this show. And my attitude is always this. Sometimes you're not going to like what I say. Sometimes you're gonna, I'm going to annoy the hell out of you. Sometimes you mightn't care about the topics I talk about. But my hope is this. Is that whatever I've said in the show, whether you've agreed or disagreed. Whether you've enjoyed it or hated it. Is that the last, one of the last things that goes through your brain hearing in my voice. Is an Irish person telling you. America is great because Americans are good. Honestly, if you get nothing else from my show, I want you to get that into your head. And to start believing it. America is great because Americans are good. I've kind of taken it as my mission. That I hear how many people tell you, you suck. You suck. You truly, as a people, you suck. I'm here to tell you, you don't. I see so much potential. I see so much goodness in you. Do some of your people suck? Absolutely. I see them the way they interact. I've, I've seen enough American people acting like jerks and have said many things to me and threatened me over the time. I'm sure they are. That's just the way life is. Every society has jerks. But as a society, you're wonderful. You have changed the course of the earth. You have done more in 200 years than the rest of the world combined in 2,000 years. This is indisputable fact. And it galls me that you elect people like Bernie Sanders to then turn around and tell you, no, you're not a compassionate society, that your record is virtually worse than any other country on the earth. That is unacceptable. That is disgusting. And that is a flat-out lie. 
if you do a quick Google search anytime you want and look at the history of America, look at all the natural disasters. Who sends the most aid and who's always one of the first to step up? America. Again, forget the politics of it. Look how much foreign aid you send to other people. America. When there's a, a Tisami, who's the, one of the first people that America. Now there's bad time parts to this as well. I'm, I'm just let's just deal with the facts. Let's forget the politics for a second. You look at all the charity, and that's hours spent. You, there's a research a calendar. You know the most charitable nations in the world. Now America's number two right now. It's it's kind of flipped over the last couple of years. But the number one is Myanmar. I know that wonderful big huge nation of 300 million people, right? You are a compassionate society. You're compassionate in terms of your money. You're compassionate in terms of your time, both overseas and at home. But you're also compassionate in that you have innovated more than any other nation or collection of nations in the rest of the world, and you have made this world fundamentally better. If that isn't compassionate, folks, I don't know what is. And after I come back from this break, I'm going to give you some stories. And I want you to listen to these stories. They're very short. There's about five or six of them. And they all have one common thread. And it's about healthcare. And I'm not going to tell you what the common thread is. But I want you to see if you find it. And then I want you to address Bernie Sanders. And I'll do that right after this break. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media, uh, Twitter at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook at Freedom's Disciple or JonathanLum58. Get in touch, give me a follow, give me a friend request. Uh, I love interacting with you, even when you tell me I'm wrong. I-, I will interact with you, I'll be civil, I will lay out the case for you. And if we disagree, I'm one of those people who will say, okay, we agree to disagree on this. Um, by the way, apologies for my voice, I'm still... Uh, I'm still on the VIX, ladies. I'm still, uh, I'm still enjoying that. The the VIX is uh, is doing me good. I uh, I can't get rid of this. I've been sick since Christmas, and it's it's like, I, I'm I'm sure I know many of my friends have got this dose as well. It's like, for about two days of the week, I'm really sick and I'm snuffly and I'm nasally and I sound like crap, and then it just goes away. I get better, and I'm like, thank God it's gone. And then it's like every time I say that, like it's like, no, I'm not gone. I'm back. And then I go through another couple of days where I feel like crap. And then, anyway, 
you don't need to know about my health, but all, all's good, but just, and also it's really cold. Here, back to business, Bernie Sanders. So healthcare. So American healthcare system, if you look at and you listen to Bernie Sanders over the years, he says it sucks, it's crap, it's uncompassionate, blah, 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 blah. You've heard all the excuses before. I'm going to share a couple of stories with you. And I would ask for your patience on this because there is an underlying theme and a point I want to make. So I would ask for your patience. These are all stories from Ireland. And I, this took me about to actually compile but to, and to, to make all the points I wanted to make. It took me a couple of hours. But to actually find these stories took me less than five minutes on Google. It just took me time to go through them. So here we go. Story one. And story one is about a little child called Ben. And Ben loves Batman. And Ben is five years old. And sadly, little Ben is currently been treated at Dublin's hospital for a rare form of cancer. His mum, Valerie Farrell, says his li her little boy is facing a battle no child should ever have to face. But despite it all, he's still smiling. And he's still wearing his beloved Batman mask, keeping everyone at the hospital entertained with his antics. Ben is from Fingless in North Dublin, and he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer on Christmas Eve 2015. He has stage 4 Wilms tumour, which doctors here are struggling to treat, despite 19 rounds of chemotherapy, or radiotherapy, sorry. We are in a devastating position where our options are limited and have all but run out in Ireland, says Valerie. This treatment in Ireland is not working, and we need to raise a lot of money in a short time for a clinical trial in America. Ben is suffering from a form of cancer where the cells in his body are making his tumour particularly hard to treat. Horrific story. So sad. Five years old, it's horrific. That's story one. Story two is about a little boy, I think, called Little Caelan, and he's two years old, and he's battling a rare form of aggressive childhood cancer, neuroblastoma, and he's hoping to go to the US for treatment to prevent a relapse. His parents, Stacy and Jared Mella, from Killy Gordon in County Donegal, are trying to raise thousands of euros for their eldest son. The family were overjoyed when his scans came back all clear in June 2016, but sadly, three months later, the cancer was back. He was placed on trial medication that was to prevent a relapse in July 2016. Unfortunately, treatment here in Ireland for a relapse is very limited, so it meant he had to travel to the US for a treatment at a cost of €20,000 each time. He went to America, but Kalen took a seizure, and things turned out for the worst. He's currently in a sixth cycle of chemo, but after that, Ireland has nothing else to offer him. We are trying to see if America can offer us something to prevent a relapse. Another horrific story, but please bear with me, there is a point to this. Story 3. The parents of a Belfast child diagnosed with a rare form of cancer are asking for help to fund pioneering treatment in America for their son. Just over a year ago, Dundonald toddler Zach Brennan was diagnosed with the rare childhood cancer pneumoblastoma days before his third birthday. God. After a devastating year of chemotherapy, surgery, stem cell transplants and radiotherapy, time is running out to find a more permanent cure for the four-year-old's condition, 
with the best possible chance been offered by cutting-edge trials in America. Parents Leanne and Garrett Brennan have launched the Zaki Brennan Fund and a bid to raise £134,000 to help fund the groundbreaking new treatment and to date have received almost half in donations. Thankfully he has been accepted onto his trial pending end of treatment scans but now we have to raise this large sum of money to get him there, they continued. Another horrific story. These are all children and it's so sad. Story 4. A story about little Billy Caldwell, who is currently in America with his mum, Charlotte, and his life should be wonderful. But sadly it's far from wonderful. In fact it's terrifying, terrible, and testing every bit of their love, strength and faith. Because at just 11 years old, Billy from County Tyrone could die at any moment and his mother is battling to prevent his next breath being his last. She rests on the bed beside him every time he sleeps, her arm around his shoulders, her eyes flickering, as she is desperate to stay awake so she can help him if he slips into a seizure. Today Charlotte is asking for help for her boy as he awaits test results at the Los Angeles Children's Hospital. The prospect of surgery which is intended to prevent Billy, Billy's dangerous seizures reoccurring is daunting. But not having the prospect of the surgery is much, much worse despite the 300,000 bill it would involve. She continued, when he, was four, when he was two years old, he was sent home to die from the Royal Hospital for sick children in Belfast. I just couldn't accept that. I researched places all over the world to try and get him help. We travelled to Chicago and Billy had brain surgery, which not only saved his life, but allowed him to lead the life of any other little boy, enjoying the beach, horse riding and the love of his family. He operated on Billy and literally gave me my boy back and now nine years on we've had to return to his care to see if he can operate again. Sadly young Billy suffers from inattractable and status epilepsy which means the seizures cannot be controlled by medication or diet and when they occur the youngster needs help to come out of them. Horrific story my god how much people suffer. Next story. The mother of a cork toddler who had, temp had to temporarily move to the United States so her son could receive cannabis treatments for debilitating epileptic seizures is campaigning to make marijuana legal in Ireland. You don't need to know about this. But in December last year, Yvonne and her two-year-old son Tristan relocated to Colorado to begin the much-needed treatment which uses cannabis oil. Tristan was born with Dravet syndrome, a severe and incurable form of epilepsy. He began having seizures when he was five months old and the condition escalated over time. At one point he was experiencing 20 seizures a day. His combination with side effects from his pres prescription medication resulted in numerous neurological and cognitive problems that affected his speech, movement, appetite and behaviour. However, since moving to America and receiving the cannabis treatment in the US, Tristan's conditions have been remarkably improved. He has not had a seizure in three months, and he has not needed rescue medication or oxygen since beginning his cannabis oil. He has been weaned off three pharmaceutical drugs, drugs and is about to begin removing a fort. His treatment consists of a whole plant medicine oil with a full spectrum of therapeutic compounds that is administered orally. And it's a wonderful story. Next story. My name is Courtney Manning. I live in Coolock in Dublin. I'm 18 years old and I was 10 weeks 
premature and was diagnosed with spastic diplegia cerebral palsy. I'm known as a toe walker. Cerebral palsy is a disorder that affects muscle tone, movement and motor skills. CP usually is caused by brain damage that happens before or during a baby's birth or during the first three to five years of a child's life. I couldn't walk until I was three with the help of my mom and her determination. I finally took my first steps. I went to weekly physiotherapy and occupational therapy appointments and I would see my surgeon and doctor there as well. On the 10th of March 2016 I had my first major operation on my Achilles tendon. I also recently had a wish and this is to be pain free and I have just been accepted for surgery in St. Louis in America. It is also known as SDR, Selective Dorsal Rhizotomy. Over the next few weeks I'll be doing a lot of fundraising to get to America so any ideas or help will be great. Next story. After an operation in 2014 to replace two discs in her neck, Lorraine was paralysed from the chest down. Lorraine has struggled to find appropriate facilities in Ireland to help her in a rehabilitation. And so we are looking to raise funds to send Lorraine to a facility in the US called Barros Medits, which has been successful in helping people with spinal cord injuries to walk again. She's currently waiting a start date. Next story. We're nearly finished, by the way. Bear with me. There is a point I want to make about all this. Meet Nora. Born February 6, 2016. A born a petite but healthy. She was breastfed for three months, but struggled to gain adequate weight and refused to drink from a bottle or a cup, despite been weeks of trying every trick in the book. Worried, we took her to our local hospital, where they filled, fitted her with a nostrogastic feeding tube. The tube can cause many side effects such as delayed vocal or motor skills, post-traumatic stress disorder from tube insertions, frequent hospital visits and simply not having fun at mealtime and experiencing food as a normal kid. So what's the solution? A weaning clinic monitored by professionals to ensure she is getting enough nutrition while simultaneously learning to eat orally. The American-based tube weaning specialist company Growing Independent Eaters offers professional net coaching for YouTube-dependent children. The goal of this campaign is to earn enough money for both the assessment and the full support wean, which costs $3,000. Two last stories. One, my name is Orla. I suffer from endodermatitis. With what people may not know is how badly endodermatitis can affect your daily life. Apologies if I butchered that. Um, first time I was hospitalized with pain, I was 14. I couldn't stand, I was doubled in two in pain, and I was told that I was stressed and the pain was probably in my head. I am now 24. Last year, after three surgeries and nine years after, I was officially di diagnosed with endodermatitis. Within a year of my last surgery, I was back experiencing crippling pain. This pain means I haven't been able to complete my final year in college, haven't been able to work, haven't been able to go out, and haven't been able to do things normal 24-year-olds do. I had to cancel holidays, quit jobs, all because I've been in pain for the last three years especially. My dream is to travel to America and have excision surgery with one of the best surgeons in the world at the Center for Emodermatitis in Atlanta, Georgia. And now a last story, which is truly terrific. Tributes have poured in for a young boy whose bravery touched the hearts of many friends, neighbours and even the odd celebrity. 
Seven-year-old Oren Nibs passed away on January 20th after a heroic battle with mitochondrial disease. The youngster has been hospitalised and an inspirational to all who met him in his native Donegal and beyond. Back in 2015, he even met Colin Farrell. Oren's condition was a very challenging one and included severe muscle weakness, seizures and choking fits. There is no cure for this disease. His community rallied around him in life as they tried to raise funds to make sure he had the chance of life by sending him to the USA for treatment. Sadly, he has passed away and has now been buried near his family home. When I come back, America, I want you just to think about all those stories. Think about all those different diseases. And think about what they all have in common. This took me five minutes of Googling. And when I come back, America, I'm going to address Bernie Sanders in the only way I know how. With the truth. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope you gave me a bit of patience and you went, you got through that second segment. Some of them stories are so sad and so horrifying. But I want to address Bernie Sanders. See, I live in a nation filled with socialist medicine. I live in a system where politicians tell me, I think they have a right to tell me what I can and can't buy. buy. They think they can tell me what's best for me. And we all do it in the name of compassion. It's all done in the name of fairness. See, I live in a country that has socialized medicine. I live in a country which has an attitude where it cannot see a fat man standing beside a skinny man without coming to the assumption that the fat man must have got that way by stealing from the poor and the skinny man. Yet, despite all these wonderful tributes to socialized medicine, I could tell you story after story of how it fails. I shared the story with you, the reports that came out prior to Christmas. I think it was the last show before Christmas that I had released. A report that said about 300 people each year die in our health service, in our socialized medicine health service. 300 people, nearly one person a a day die because there isn't enough beds 
in emergency care. Another 300 people die because of lack of beds in the ER. In A&E, sorry. That's 600 people a year dying because there's not enough beds. There was a report over Christmas where I think it was like 10 cases of cancer in a country hospital went undiagnosed. Now can you imagine those stories? If the hospitals in question and the service in question was with a private company, if it was some millionaire and billionaire, they'd be shut down. They wouldn't be allowed. They'd be all over the media. They'd be screaming. There'd be pitchforks out. There'd be rallies. There'd be signs knowing you, you rich person, you, you're so uncompassionate. You don't feel the needs for the poor. You're hateful. You're spiteful. We hate you. Yet when government does it, no one seems to blink an eye. Socialized medicine is not good. But here's the story, Mr. Sanders. The story of little Ben had a form of cancer. Little Kaylin had neuroblastoma. Children in Belfast with neuroblastoma. Billy Caldwell, who needed um, help breathing and living. A young boy who had mitochondrial disease. Sadly, he passed away. The cork toddler who needed to get to Colorado for medical marijuana treatment. Courtney Manning, who needed an operation in, Chica in St. Louis. Lorraine, who needs an operation in Barris Methods. Nora, who's a little two, little one-year-old girl who needs a feeding tube. Orla, who has endodermatitis, who needs to get Atlanta for surgery. All these people have one thing, two things in common. They're all Irish. They're all sick. They all live under socialized medicine, which should be great. And yet they all have one thing in common underlying. They all need to get to America for treatment. Mr. Sanders, if America is so uncompassionate, how come in an, in an island of only 4.234 million people? Within 10 minutes of Googling, I found all these stories. I could have found a load more if I wanted to, but that would have just weared the point thin. How come in a nation of 4 million people, within 10 minutes research, I could find all these little stories? All with one thing in common, sir, to get to your country. If America is not compassionate, through no other fault, forget your donations, forget the time you donate. But sir, if you're not compassionate through innovation, through finding something that is wrong in society and making it better, who is? Who is, sir? Who else is leading the world in cures and in treatment? I don't see any of these stories going to England, another socialized medicine country. I don't see any of these stories going to Germany, going to Europe, going to Australia. I've seen them going to America, sir. Why is that? Is it possible 
because I don't know America had a free market when other countries don't? Is it possible, sir, that in America, because there is no glass ceiling, that if you work hard and you play by the rules, you can get ahead and make this world a better place? Would that have anything to do with it, sir? Would it have anything to do with it? That each of these individuals know if they cure something, they know they're helping the world, they're making the world a better place, but they can get their just rewards from it and have a better life themselves for them and their families. And not be like Ireland, where every penny you earn over 32,000 euros is charged at 40% tax. Would that have anything to do with it, sir? Would it have anything to do with the entrepreneurial spirit? Now, I know this is going down in recent years, but it's still better than a lot of other people. That, on, that entrepreneurial spirit, that can-do attitude, sir, would that have anything to do with it? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sanders wants to tell you you suck, how you're not compassionate. I hope with these stories you see something that says, factually, we're the second most compassionate in terms of money per person and time per person in the whole world, only behind Miramar. We as a people are compassionate, we are good, we are honest, but through our innovation, through our hard work, we have made the world a better place. We are a compassionate people. The facts line up. How anyone can look at these facts and say you are not compassionate, I have no idea. But I want to make one last point. In a way, Bernie Sanders actually has a point. He actually says something half factual which I want to address in future shows. In terms of our relationships to poor and working people, our record is virtually worse than any other nation in the world. Now that part is wrong, comparing it to any other nation in the world. But I will say one thing. In terms of your relationship to the poor and working people, your record is bad. He is right about that. Sadly, you have followed the European path and have gotten away from the American path. And that is why your record is bad. Your record is bad because you make poor and working people dependent on politicians like Bernie Sanders. Your record is horrific because all you do is teach, all you do is give people fish and you never teach them how to fish. In terms of people like Bernie Sanders' record, it is horrific. How you have taken an independent American and made him a servant of the state. Where you have taken an independent person and made them dependent on their person getting elected. In damn terms, that relationship, it does bad. it is bad. And it is as bad as in Ireland, as in England, and as in the rest of the world. You look at the cycles of dependency in your country. Where generation after generation after generation, they don't break the cycles of poverty. That isn't worse than any other nation on the world. I would say it's probably the same or slightly better in certain circles. But it is not because of Bernie Sanders' 
out there making these speeches saying you're not a compassionate society, that you really suck, that's changing this. In fact, it is because of people like Bernie Sanders, who all they see when they see each and every one of you is they see an opportunity. They see an opportunity that, haha, I'm going to give you something. And you know what you're going to give me? You're going to give me power in return. All you are is an opportunity to ensure you are a servant to the state and you're a servant to me. And I'm going to do it with a smile on my face and I'm going to demand you say thank you. In your terms, to quote Bernie Sanders, in terms of your relationship to the poor and working people, you're damn right some of your records are horrible. But it's not because of your people, it is because of people like Bernie Sanders. It is because of people like Barack Obama. It is people like Hillary Clinton. It is people like Paul Ryan. It is people like Mitch McConnell. You want to talk about horrific records? It is pretty much everyone who's in Congress for a long-term time. All these people who all they can contribute is hot air and talking points and talking down to you, the American people. All these people in D.C. who think, oh, we're just so smart because we're a politician. You know, we're, we're a different class of people. No, you're a different class of useless idiots. And you know I don't use bad language and you know I don't insult people. But these, this is what these people are. A useful idiot. In fact, they're not very useful. Because all they do is seize other people's misery for their own power, their own gain and their own control. I don't see how anyone seeing any suffering in this world and going, you know what I'm going to do? I see your suffering. I, I'm going to pretend I feel your suffering. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you dependent on someone else for the rest of your life. How is that compassionate? How is that compassionate? Whether you look at the American founding, whether you look at the American principles, whether you look at the American way, or whether you just look at it from an outsider going, yeah, I think that's compassionate. Which is the most compassionate? Though we can make our case to our fellow man, brothers and sisters. Where you see something that's horrific and you help them, but you help them in a way that gets them through their short-term need, and then they are independent to survive for themselves, by themselves, and to pursue whatever it is their dream is. Compared to seeing a, a potential issue and working to make them dependent, to make them work in make them dependent and be a servant to the government forever and to continuously cyclical and generationally keep getting more and more and not having a dream their dream is more and more benefits their dream is the obama phone their dream is obamacare their dream is just more and more and more and more from someone else how sad is it that people now accept as compassion that they will never be able to do it for themselves they need someone else how demoralizing is it when you break it down to its core that we tell people, you can't do that by yourself. You need us. You need me. You need me, Bernie Sanders, in Congress fighting for you, for your rights. How sad is that, that we don't empower people? It is horrific. It is disgusting. It is vile. There are people in America who don't need anyone else. They need government to get the hell out of their way. That's what America was about. Saying, hey, I'm an individual. I'm me. I can do anything I want. That is a message of empowerment. That is compassion. That is empowering. That is insp inspirational. Instead, right now, because America is following like Bernie Sanders, because, you know, Norwegian-style socialism is great, isn't it? No, it isn't. It sucks. I would love to debate this man, because I'm telling you, I'd make him cry. 
and not cry because I'd be mean or insulting to him. I'd be make him cry because he wouldn't know what a fact is, but he would after I spoke with him. It is not compassion to make someone dependent on government. That is the furthest thing from compassion I can think of. Because at some point, that person might not be around to give you what you need. And then what happens? You're left out on the cold. We need to take some of these narratives back about compassion. I don't see how anyone logically can see compassion being, I'm going to make you dependent, and I'm going to make you dependent on me. And then... The most galling part is, not only am I making you dependent on me, but I'm going to demand you say thank you and shit, chant my name. Bernie, 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 Bernie. Makes me sick. You know what politician I chant their name of? Of the one who said, I'm going to help you. Personally. But I'm going to help you and teach you how to fish so you can survive by yourself. You don't need me. You don't need anyone. That is the truth. That is the truth. You don't need anyone. And especially, you don't need a politician. You can make it on your own. The dream of America is that of working hard, doing the right thing, and making a difference. Knowing that wherever you've come from, you can make a difference. That is the power of America. That is why Emma Lazarus on the Statue of Liberty said, Give me your tired, your weak, and your huddled masses. That was an insult and a slam on European-style socialism and European socialist government at the time. That was saying, you know those people you say can't do it because they come from the wrong background or have the wrong first family surname or have the wrong education or of the wrong class? Yeah, you come to America. We'll give you opportunity. Because you can make it. In America, we don't care about any of those things. There is no glass ceiling to be broken. Just go aim for the moon. You can do what you want. Does that mean you are guaranteed victory? No. But it gives you that opportunity. That is the dream of America. That is compassion. Just look at the innovation over the last 200 years. Look at the innovation over the last 10. 20, 40, 60. How is that not compassionate? Even look at something like Facebook. Again, which we spoke about last week. Look at what Facebook is doing. Am I defending Facebook as a company? No. But through their innovation, it has made our lives probably a net positive. There are things I don't like about Facebook. There are things I don't like the way people use it. But there are plenty of things I don't like. It's called freedom. Sometimes freedom sucks and the end result sucks. But I'd much rather be free and have my freedoms than have someone else determine what is right and wrong. But social media, where you can communicate with... Heck, you can communicate with me. I'm 6,000 miles away from the East Coast. I'm five hours ahead of the East Coast. Yet instantaneously, the minute you click your fingers and press enter and send me a message, I get it straight away. How is that not a net benefit from society? That is the world we live in. If that's not compassionate, the ability to say you can achieve anything you want and truly mean it. If that's not compassion, I don't know what is compassion, ladies and gentlemen. 
Because maybe this world we live in, compassionate is, you need me. You can't do it, you need me. Elect me. Make sure I never lose power. Because if you lose power and the other guy gets in, <laughs> you're not going to have a good time. You need me. If that's compassionate, well then I guess we all need to go to a dictionary and look up compassionate. Because it doesn't mean what I think it means. Bernie Sanders, you are a joke. I honestly hope you don't believe anything you say. I don't know which is worse. I was talking to a friend about this the other day during the week while I was chomping at the bit. And we were talking about him. I was like, I don't know which is worse. The fact that he's ignorant enough to believe what he says. Or if he's smart enough not to believe it. But has such little character and such an opportunist that he thinks if he says it, it gets him elected. I don't know which is worse. I don't know which is worse. But on this show, and I don't care what side you're on, left, right, center, top, bottom, anywhere in the middle. One thing that will not fly on this show is anyone, politician or otherwise, stepping up in public saying America sucks. Because America doesn't suck. America has problems right now, and we're going to address them over the coming weeks, months, and years. But as a people, like I always say, if you hear nothing else from my show each and every week, I always dream of you just hearing the last words I say to you. America is great because Americans are good. America is the individual doing the right thing and be given that opportunity. That is why your nation is exceptional. Just one of the many reasons. It's not exceptional because of Bernie Sanders. It's not exceptional because of who's in the White House at any time. It's not exceptional who runs Congress or who's on the Supreme Court. It's exceptional because each and every one of you. That is why America is truly one of the greatest nations that's ever existed. And in my eyes, the greatest. Despite and in spite of people like Bernie Sanders. Who are nothing more than a glorified opportunist. And who think in 2017 it is cool. It is hip. I'll get all the young people voting me for me if I just say America sucks. How sad. How sad to be in 2017. To be a man of Bernie Sanders age. And to have such hatred. For himself. For his country. And for his fellow citizens. That is something not to be angry at, although I get that temptation. But deep down, that's something to be really sorry for. Because something must have happened to him at some stage in his life where he said, wow, America sucks. And he's believed it, in spite of all the evidence to suggest otherwise. That is truly sad, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere, America. I've got one last thing I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about, I want to give you an update on Brexit. Because we go from one idiotic politician to idiotic judges and idiotic politicians across the sea. Just so you know, you're not alone. You, every country has idiotic politicians and self-serving politicians. Don't go anywhere because this is an important update you need to hear. I'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. Thank you so much for sticking with me, ladies and gentlemen, on the Blaze Radio. I hope today's show has just given you some single focus, some... I, I need to tackle these issues at length, so I, I'm over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to ask for your patience. They're not going to be all in, you know, 10, 15, 18 minute segments. They're going to be a bit longer. They're going to go two and three segments. And I would ask you, if you anyone you know that thinks Bernie Sanders is right, America is not compassionate, or healthcare is good, I would ask you just to share this show with them. Even if they never listen to me again, just to hear, this is an Irish person, and this is the stories in Ireland. And what they have in common. Because this is how we get the message out. I'm not asking for a vote or I'm not asking for any awards. I'm just trying to get a message out that America doesn't suck. America is compassionate. And privatized healthcare is the way to go. Before we finish up the show, I did have a a segment um, planned. I promised it last week about economics. I apologize. This the healthcare issue was came up this week and I have to give you this update on Brexit. Um, so I'll do that next week. I definitely will. It'll be the first thing we'll talk about. But in case you haven't heard, um, there's been an update on Brexit this week. And it's important that you hear um, this update in case you haven't heard it. So England last year went to the polls. They had what they call a referendum. And referendum is you go to the people, the people vote on an issue. Do you want to do something or do you not want to do something? In this case, it was do you want to leave Europe and do Brexit or do you want to stay in the European Union? Very simple. One choice or the other, not a multi-layer choice. And of course, last year you heard they voted to leave. Well, you see, that upset a lot of people. That upset a lot of famous, you know, rich and powerful politicians who said, oh, no, 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 no. Those people, (laughs) those people don't know what they're doing. They're just a bunch of plebs. I'm an elected politician. I'm smarter than them. I'm at a higher class than them. They don't get to decide what happens to Britain. I do. You know, why go to the millions and millions of British people and let them decide when you can do four, five, six hundred politicians in Parliament? Well, why would you do that? That's ludicrous. Having millions of people decide the fate of their own nation when only a select few of us can do it. And we're upper class. And, and you know, there's I, I'm only a member of parliament. I'm I'm higher than those people. But, you know, we have the House of Lords. And, you know, with different, more and more and more and more posh people. You know, more upper class people. You know, of, of a better upbringing. Of a better education. Of a better better view of the world. We're somewhere smarter. No, you don't want to listen to the people. You want us to decide. Because we're the gods. We're the gods. And that's why you pay us. That is the thinking, ladies and gentlemen, of politicians. It's not just America. It's around the world. So, all these people went crazy. All these, this is not right. 
And what do politicians do? So politicians in America and in the rest of the world have two things. They get this decision where we need to decide something, but we, you know, we'll play along. It's smoke and mirrors. We'll go to the people and we hope the people will decide rightly. I, when I say right in what we want to do, but if they don't, well, we always have the court system to go to. And that is what they did. So English people voted overwhelmingly to leave Europe. And then politicians went, oh crap, they voted to leave. What do we do? We go to the courts. The courts are always a good person on our side. And they brought a case. And the case was quite simple. The case was, um, should members of parliament have a right to vote? Can parliament say, leave? Or can just the parliament say, people voted, they wanted Brexit, let's get out. Well, the court came back this week and said, guess what? Can't go with the people's decision. Of course, members of parliament must vote on whether the government can start the Brexit process. So what does this mean? Well, Theresa May, cause this is all politics, by the way. So Theresa May, again, whether you like her or not, it's a different, it's regardless. She came out with this deadline of the 31st of March, she is going to trigger Article 50. And Article 50 is the constitutional amendment they trigger to leave Europe. So in ways, this is all a game to make her look bad. So, and miss her deadline. So the politicians have come out and said, you know what, you actually need to vote on it. You can't just trigger Article 50. It needs to go to a parliamentary vote. So, of course, what did the, the Conservatives who are in government say? Okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to bring a parliamentary bill within days. We're going to bring a bill. But right out of the bat, without seeing a bill, without seeing any legislation, the left and all the other people who didn't want to leave are already coming up with excuses. And they've made this decision where they've given advice saying, look, if you have a one-line bill and you don't provide enough detail, you could be open to further legal appeals in the future. They've also said that, and leading figures in the Labour Party have gone public and said this, that, you know, if you have legislation and it's short, you know, we, we've gone past these old days, like, you know, where the Constitution, remember these are grand ideas in America where people would say, if it's, you know, no piece of legislation needs to be longer than the Constitution, like six or 7,000 words and pages, or six and seven, six or 7,000 words and six or seven pages, you know, those, those bills are so short, you know, anybody can interpret things anyway. So, you know, like having a one-line legislation, like, I don't know, just some, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I'm... I'm only spitballing here, you know, going to Parliament saying, should par this Parliament follow the wish of the British people who voted to leave the European Union on whatever day last June? You vote yes or no. You see, that's stupid. You know, you know, we need lawyers. We need to give, we need to provide jobs to the lawyers and we need to play this song and dance around things. So the Labour Party have said, you know, if you do this legislation and it's too short, we're going to accuse you of being arrogant and wasting time in appealing against the high court decision. That is the world we live in. But I'm not done, ladies and gentlemen. You see, because we need to, you know, have these 
games in, in, in I was going to say Congress, games in Parliament where, you know, one side, you know, only cares about denying other side and we all want to play games and we all want to get power. Because, by the way, there was a fresh poll that came out this week in, in Britain that said Conservatives have a 16-point lead over Labour. That's a big, big lead. 16 points. So, but don't worry, that has absolutely nothing to do with the games they're playing right now. This is all for the goodness of the people. Even though the people said they wanted to leave, deep down that to them says we need to make things as difficult as possible to leave. So, we need to create jobs, right? We need to create employment. So now what they're insisting on is what they call a white paper. You see, a white paper is basically a summary of the government's plans. It's published for information, and it's going to prompt and discussion, and then they go to Parliament and they discuss it, and the government releases this white paper and says A, B, and C, and then we have all these grandstanding, and the Right Honourable John Dunn said, this is bad, this is bad, 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 bad. And then the right honourable, because we, you know, we're in, we're in, we're in Parliament here. It's not like, you know, congressmen stand up. It's not the right and honourable. Even though you have like people like Bernie Sanders in there, they're right and honourable. You know, they're we're they're on a bigger, better class than you are. So they release this, have to release this white paper, and it brings up discussion, and people make all these arguments, and there's a load of grandstanding involved, and then you bring the bill. Well, instead of just having those one-line bills, which they said is not good, they're going to bring legal charges if they bring a short bill. They also then said, you know what, before we bring a bill, we need to have a white paper. See, it's all built in smoke and mirrors to the game to say, you said you want to leave by March 30th. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure you don't hit that deadline. That is the world Britain lives in. That is the world Britain lives in. And it is so sad. Because this is going to have a very interesting precedent for the future. Because I've spoken about this on, on cases before. When you look at a Supreme Court case in America or in England or in Europe or anywhere else, the decision is important. The decision is important. How they came to that decision is equally important because of what wording they used. Or why they made their ruling. This is going to set a very unusual precedent in Britain. And it might get to the rest of Europe. If, And the precedent is, why would you bother having a referendum in the future? Why would you bother going to the people? The courts have now said... Of course you need to go to Parliament to, to trigger Article 50. You know, members, you run government. You have to be part of the decision-making. Why would you ever go to the people again? Why would you go to the people and say, hey, guess what? We want you to decide whether, you know, on taxes, on on gay marriage, on anything, whatever they'd go to, to the people for. Why would you bother going to the people if your people's voice means nothing? And that government's going to decide anyway. Now, while I don't think this could happen, it's possible that they don't trigger Article 50 because the Parliament vote doesn't pass. I don't think it will, because I think Conservatives have enough numbers. But imagine down in the future, and especially if you had a, a situation like you had last year, where all the parties, David Cameron, who was head of the Conservative Party at the time, Jeremy Corbyn, who was head of Labour, and still is, 
They all wanted to stay. They all campaigned to stay. Why wouldn't you just stay on then and just say, you know what, look, we all know it's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's going to rule because it has precedent now on its side that the lawmakers in Parliament have the final say. And hey, I know what the people said, but we're going to go against the wills of the people. This sets up for a very, very dangerous precedent in Britain. And Britain is a democracy. It's not America. It's not a republic. Britain is a democracy in every way, shape, and form. This is going to have very dangerous precedents for Britain going forward, I fear. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But uh, the underlying theme of today's show between Bernie Sanders and this Brexit decision is politicians don't care about you. Politicians don't care about your opinions. Politicians are there to do what they want to do and get more power for themselves. All these 11 judges on the Supreme Court of Britain did, who say the people don't count, the millions and millions of people don't count. All that's important is the 11 of us and all those people in Parliament. And by the way, the vote wasn't even close. You know, it wasn't one of those decisions you had in America where it was, oh, it was 5-4, it could have went either way. It was 8-3. to three. Eight to three. Eight men and women wearing fancy black robes, all having the, the title Lord, like I am so much better than you. Eight of them said the will of the British people doesn't matter. All that matters is your politicians. You start to see any, you starting to see anything in common with other countries we talk about an awful lot. But I want to give you one last update on Brexit. And sadly, this is involving Ireland. Ireland's in a unique place in the Brexit decision because Ireland is two countries. Even though it's one nation and one piece of land, it's two countries. For those of you who don't know, there's the 26 count, there's 32 states, they're Cal counties over here. But there are 32 states in Ireland. 26 of them are part of the Republic of Ireland, or as some people call it, wrongly, Southern Ireland. It's where I live. I live in the capital, Dublin. And there are six states up north which belong to England. And because Ireland is part of the EU, but it's also in different parts part of Britain, it's got an unusual stance on this issue. And because we don't care about people, we just want what's best. And because a select few think they know what's best for this world, there's a court case which is going to be launched and successfully triggered at the end of January in Dublin, Ireland. It's a crowd-funded legal challenge, crowd-funded. And it's basically going to determine whether Britain's divorce from the European Union can be reversed once it has been triggered. So now that this court has ruled, 8-3, to three, saying it ha Brexit has to go back to Parliament. If Parliament produces its white paper and then produces a bill and it, it gets passed and there's no more challenges, there still could be one more challenge in Ireland. Because people don't want Brexit. The powers that be don't want Brexit. Can you imagine the audacity of people? Of someone seeing a country like Britain in this case, and all their millions of people going, we want out. 
And then a London-based lawyer going over to another country, Ireland in this case, going to their court system and saying, guess what? We're going to have this legal challenge and we're going to see if we can say to Britain, you can't have your divorce, even though you've triggered Article 50. Can you imagine the audacity of that lawyer? And the reason, by the way, in case you're going, why would you go to Dublin? That doesn't make sense. Because what will happen is, and it's been accepted, this will be a case in Dublin. And it will probably start around January. That's the latest date they're saying, the end of January. However, because of the white paper and the bills involved, I wouldn't be surprised if the date is pushed back. But basically, the reason they've gone to Ireland and Dublin is because sympathy. We're part of Europe. Dublin will hear this case. Dublin will rule on this case, launch its findings. It will then probably go to, I, I'm not too familiar with the Dublin and the European way of law, but I would imagine it will go to the Irish Supreme Court and they will make their ruling. And if they don't get the rulings they want, it will be appealed. And then eventually, the end game, I would imagine, is to get to the European Court, Supreme Court. Can you imagine if lawyers yet again screw the British people who wanted to get out. Can you imagine the precedents we're setting right now? Everything that's happening in Europe and in Britain right now over Brexit is basically, in effect, the middle finger to each and every British person who voted to leave. Yeah, I know you feel you were treated badly, and yeah, I know I f you felt you were losing your freedoms, and yeah, I know you felt you were losing your money and your rights and things weren't going well, but, you know, us ruling class people, we'll decide what's best for you. You know, you just have to, you know, you'll eventually become to the right decision. And what they do is they'll make it hard as possible, and they'll make it as drawn out as possible, and they'll do more fear-mongering. They're already starting. You know, I, all these people come in and go, well, you know, if, if, if Britain leaves Brexit, you know, there's 2,000 restaurants. This is the latest one, by the way, because I heard it in different news articles. 2,000 restaurants are going to go out of business. Oh, my God. They're going to make it as painful as possible. The propaganda will go to unprecedented levels. And eventually, because it's now effectively, it's last June, it's seven or eight months now, people will just get bored of it and just go, oh, you know what, it's too much hassle, it's too much work. This is what they're hoping for. Just stay. Just, just just, stay. If this gets drawn out in court case after court case, people have fatigue. They have their own lives. You know what this is like. You've experienced this in a number of issues where you have your own life, you have your own family, you have your own kids, you have your own school to worry about, you have your own money problems, you know, marriage problems, you have just life gets in the way. After some point in time, it's like, I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about this issue. Just go away. I need a fresh issue. And what they're hoping, I'm guessing, is eventually the British people get fatigued of Article 50 and just give in. And then they get to stay and, you know, we get to move on from this drama. And it'll have been for nothing. That is the way politicians work over here in Europe and in Britain. We don't care about the individual person anymore. We don't care about individual rights. All we care about is the ruling class getting their way. Now, I put you to, to America. Is there anything I've said about Brexit that kind of sounds familiar? You know, not getting your way going to the Supreme Court. Has that ever happened in America? I know it has. Not getting the ruling you want? Well, we'll go to another place. Go to another court. Go to a more favourable district. 
that ever happened in America? I can tell you it has. Politicians not caring about you, just going for the will that they want to. This is the world we live in. And I'm going to leave you one last thought today. This world is changing, whether you like it or not. This world has been fundamentally transformed. To take Barack Obama's saying. By the way, before I just make this point, how cool is it that he is gone? It's like, oh, it's wonderful. Now, I'm not going to comment on Trump. I'm not going to say it in positive. I'm not going to say it in negative. But, my God, it's so cool not to have Barack Obama in the White House. It's just, if I never see that guy's face ever again, it'll be too soon. And, uh, of course, I have to see, I have, do have to say one thing. Congratulations, Barack Obama, the latest member of the Douche Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, actually, I can't say that this week. I was going to say, I can't think of someone more deserving. But after what I spent the first three segments of the show talking about, I think Bernie Sanders um, is the most deserving of this week because of his stupidity and ignorance. But congratulations, Barack Obama, newest member of the Douche Hall of Fame. Very well earned. You worked your butt off to get that award. Congratulations. But last point, back to the last point, back to serious stuff. We are living in a world that has been transformed. We are telling people in America, in England, and in Europe, and the rest of the world, you don't matter. You don't matter. The media are saying the exact same thing in England, in Ireland, in Europe, and in America. They are making you feel irrelevant, not listened to. That is a recipe for disaster. There is no positive ending to this story. Unless you decide to make a positive ending. Because one of two things will happen if you do nothing. One, you will believe it. You will buy the hype. You will believe, I am nothing. I can't make a difference. I'm just, I'm just John. I'm just one man. What can I do? Two, you'll get angry. And start lashing out. And start doing stupid things. Which leads to anarchy. Which leads to what happened with those stupid protests in D.C. on Saturday. But there is another option. The option is where you can take a role. And can take an active role. Where you, as an individual, can say. What the media says, what the politician says, it's BS. And I'm going to make it on my job. To go tell my fellow Americans, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to say, yes, you can make a difference. Don't believe them. But don't lash out. Don't be angry. Do things in the right way. Do things the principled way. Act with love. Follow the examples of the American founders. Be there for each other. Inspire a generational change. Where you take the power back. Where you take the power back and you take the responsibility back to make a better tomorrow. That is option three, which is never ever thought about or discussed. And that is something I believe we need to play a part in. We need to be part of the generation that inspires, that educates, that empowers, but also encourages other people to do things. This is the path I want to take to try and inspire you. Because here's the thing. You are an exceptional nation. You are an exceptional people. You can do anything you want to. 
I still believe in the future of America. I still believe in your potential. You have potential for greatness inside each and every one of you. You truly do. You just have to believe it and make the sacrifices necessary to fulfill that greatness. I'm positive for the future because history teaches me that each generation of Americans has made that sacrifice and has made a lasting difference. So your track record says you will make that. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be living. I don't want to be involved in the generation that says, yeah, I know our track record says we'll do things, but we won't. We're going to be the first generation of Americans to lay down our swords, to lay down our shields, and to give up, and to succumb to the Leviathan. I don't want to be alive when that happens. I don't think it ever will. I hope it doesn't. But I assure you, I'm going to do everything I can to help. We can make this world a better place. We can let freedom ring. We can break the bonds between our brothers and sisters in America, in Europe, in Ireland, in England, in Australia. We can break those bonds that tie each and every one of us to government. It will take time. It will take hard work. It will take setbacks. It will take a lot of hard, hard work. But we can do it. It's up to each and every one of you whether you believe it. Because rights are either fundamentally from God for everyone or they're not for anyone. That is the question. I believe what your founder said, that these rights come directly from God and for are for each and every one of us. And with that right comes great responsibility. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I'll say if you ever think of anyone who thinks America sucks or America's healthcare system doesn't work, please consider sharing this episode and hopefully they get the stories and they get the meaning behind them. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I thank you so much for your patience. I hope that your patience was worth it in the end. As always, I finish the show the same way. In a society that says we have no heroes, I salute the real heroes. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women and the families who sacrifice each and every day, 24-7, 365. To be part of a better tomorrow. And lastly, if you've heard nothing else from today's show, hear this. America is great because Americans are good. Until next week, America. Godspeed and God bless America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.